0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week is going to be uh, an interesting week because we're actually recording two episodes this week. And they're both follow-ups to last week's episode. So uh, we got some positive feedback last week, but we spoke a little bit about uh, Doug Kazarian's win. um, Roughly 300k on an NFL draft prop. And we're going to bring in Doug to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, and elaborate on that story a little bit more um, and hopefully discuss the state of content, um, sports betting content right now uh, in the media. And then we're going to record another episode with our good friend. Nobody can see me doing the air quotes when I say good friend, but I'm doing air quotes, uh, Joey Knish on Twitter, who is quite a polarizing figure in and of himself. Uh, we're just going to go through his sort of day-to-day embedding, what his motivations are and, uh, I'll probably rag on him a little bit in terms of some other topics, including his push-ups competition and refusing to pick up dog crap when he takes walks and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll be doing two interviews this week. But um, Johnny, it's fight week, I should say. Um, I spent last the last ten days or so with you before returning home, and uh, uh, we kind of had it out a little bit talking about um, uh, the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor. Uh, fight from the past so this kind of came up because Mayweather is fighting Paul this week and uh, I think that's coming up this weekend but Johnny gets really really fired up when he hears people say that Floyd Mayweather over Conor McGregor was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or like the best betting opportunity they'll ever have in their life so Johnny I'll give you a chance to elaborate on that and why it really uh, gets you going.
1: All right. hey everybody um yeah so as Rob mentioned we we had this conversation off air it was a solid 20 minute debate in and a car ride on the way to around a round of golf where it continued onto the course and even on the way home and <laughs> we were still bringing up points um spaced out of course um but but man so basically my argument here is uh, I, I I used to listen to a lot more than I do now but uh, I used to listen to a bunch of podcasts. Uh, in the space, read articles and things like that. And um, one trend that always came up, and it, you hear it now all the time, is people going on a podcast, going on an interview, and someone asks, "So how'd you get started betting? When did you kind of like switch over? When did what was a big edge you had?" And and everybody always says it, it's been it's brought up in maybe like one of every three interviews I I read like I hear uh, or read about, and people say, "Oh, the biggest edge, that's easy." The biggest edge was when I bet Floyd Mayweather to beat Conor McGregor. And what I want to argue here is, for some people, very, 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 very few, it could be the biggest edge based on the liquidity uh, that was available. But for the vast majority of people and for almost all of the people that I'm hearing on these interviews say that it's the biggest edge of their life, it's not. And I'm also going to go ahead and say this is definitely not a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's something that comes up Very frequently in sports betting, if you're around enough, if you have enough accounts. And for the most part, it's something that's not out of the realm of possibility. So I'll get into my argument here. um, And actually, first, I'll let Rob say anything if he wants, and then we'll get into uh, my side of the story.
0: Well, I I think part of the issue here and why we disagree is maybe the definition of what we consider to be our biggest edge. So like you said, we argued about this for probably an hour in full, like broken up in parts. But like, I think liquidity is a part of that. In general, because this was a fight where you could pretty much bet whatever you wanted. And I'm not really exaggerating because at this time I was consulting for some offshores. There was literally referrals to traders where they would take seven-figure bets. and Many six-figure bets. Like you could have got down any, anywhere was posting this fight with high limits. So I think that has to factor into the equation. Like it, it's not... You might have big a bigger edge than, uh, than what was like your actual difference, your delta between the probability you made the fight and the implied probability. But you add in the combination of being able to get down a shit ton of money. And I think that's what qualifies as being the biggest edge.
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely. If we're going to go ahead and just go edges based on percentage, then... Then that's like me saying that um, you know a points bet doing a bet one dollar win a hundred dollar promo if the someone scores one point tonight is going to be the biggest. Like the, I'm not counting those promotional things. I'm not counting a free bet at a sports book, and for the most part, I'm not even counting um, small, small, small things with like a twenty five dollar max on an entertainment prop or something like that. So I'll even go as, as far as to say like we'll count only like major major markets, main markets where you can get down into the five figures without um, having to have like a full operation. Okay. So when I go ahead and break down this bet, where my stance lies is people saying it's the greatest edge they've ever had. They're not realizing that exactly what their percentage edge was. So if you're betting this, the closing price was around minus 400, even though people bet it Far shorter odds than that, minus 800, minus 900 when it opened, all the way down. And people continue to bet it down, obviously. So if you're going to even just go with the closing price of minus 400, that's an 80% implied probability. So you have to win that bet, one in five to break even, right? So if you're just going ahead and saying it's the biggest edge of my whole life, the mo- like, even if you bet your entire bankroll on that, your ROI is going to be just 25%. Okay. So Obviously, it's you're not betting your entire bankroll on that based on Kelly staking, even if you had a huge edge. But what I want to ask Rob is, and here's where we, we disagree. If this was a minus 400, which is an 80% implied probability, where do you actually price this fight? Like, what was the correct odds?
0: So for, for me, I'm saying Floyd Mayweather is 99% or higher to win the fight. So for me, I mean, if you're taking 80% uh, true, no, implied probability, and you layer a 99% true probability on top of that, and you run that through a Kelly staking formula, you should be betting 95% of your bankroll. Now that's full Kelly. Some people don't want to go to that extreme because there's huge swings. Let's do eighth but Kelly. That's a, What
1: do you got at eight? One eighth Kelly.
0: Well, I would. I don't go as low as one eighth, but okay, yes, but it'd be one eighth of of 95%, right? So you're looking at much smaller bet size. I completely get that. For me, and this is for sure where we had the biggest argument, was that I'm saying there is virtually no chance that Floyd Mayweather is losing that fight if he shows up to fight. Like if he shows up in shape like he did, and I get that he's fighting another fighter, but he's not fighting a world-class boxer or just even a good boxer. Like where would Conor McGregor, and I am not by any stretch of the imagination, a huge boxing fan or an expert. I tried to consume as much information around that fight from people who I consider to be experts in the field. Russ Amber, for example, um, who I used to bring on as a guest for Sports Rage when I was working at The Score, was a guy that I listened to quite a lot around that time. And he was even questioning whether or not the fight should be sanctioned, which is a completely different story. But for me, it was... This literally would have been if it wasn't a one-on-one competition, like if you had a, a, a probability like that in anything else where there is less of a chance of it being fixed or thrown, then it's one of those all-in bets. And just my my personal example is that I parlayed Floyd Mayweather with everything that I could for months. Now, someone would say, well, that's not, that's not the same as risking 95% of your bankroll. It's not. But remember that for a couple months everything I bet on was tied to Floyd Mayweather. That was, I mean, that's two months worth of income for me just in general on all my winning wagers. So, um, 99%. That's what I say. Like, I think that's a low ball estimate. Okay. Like, so 99% into-
1: you're making it around like minus a hundred thousand minus 90,000. Okay. So I—I w- I would disagree with that, but for the sake of the argument, I won't even disagree with that. If you're going to go ahead and say there was a 99%. So Floyd's going to win 99 and a hundred doesn't really make sense. There's like, he's only had 49 career or 48 career fights at the time. I think it was anyways, or 49 yep. all against,
0: all against professional boxers.
1: Well, I mean, on the way up, like convincingly, you don't really, you don't really. Okay, sure. Fine. We'll go ahead and say he, he was, a, he was a very big favorite, but just even in the, like it was a boxing match. So like, you know what I mean? Like you, you rarely ever see fighters go off at minus a hundred thousand, regardless of who they're fighting. And you see a lot of guys facing quote unquote tin cans. When when Tyson Fury comes back from being overweight and he's in good shape and he's facing a tin can, he's like minus six thousand. And this guy who he's facing is literally put in the ring as a a punching bags as a, a tune up fight, as they call it. So. And again, yes, he's a professional boxer, but he's not really going to beat Tyson Fury. So when I'm looking at this, I'm saying like, okay, sure, price it at whatever you want. Maybe we would have priced that minus 5,000, maybe 10,000. 100,000 is a bit egregious, but for the sake of the argument, let's just say 100,000, right? So you've got a 20% edge there. You can earn if you staked 100% of your bankroll, 25%. I'll put it in terms of like other examples for for like when people go ahead and say once in a lifetime, okay? So I'm going to go from this month um a couple of weeks ago, Washington Capitals were playing the Boston Bruins. Opened up short plus money, plus 101. Closed and so what happened was this was the last game of the season where the motivation factors for both teams are not there because of the fact that they're both secured in their playoff position and the seeding doesn't matter for them. So Boston goes ahead and rests, Boston Bruins go ahead and rest their entire team other than three starters. So they're literally resting all their best players, Marshawn, Bergeron, a triple backup goalies in. You have like essentially an AHL roster being fielded uh, and the Washington Capitals play their entire team, including Nick Backstrom, who's their top line center, who was previously injured. So you, you can tell there is some motivation there. They're playing their whole team. So, I go ahead and bet that from short plus money all the way up to minus 15, 20, 25, closes somewhere in the range of 225. So, in that scenario, we're not talking about being able to get down $100. That NHL major market game, you can pop Pinnacle, Chris, every PPH, every offshore will have odds for that game at around that price. So, when we're looking at something like this, it's getting down for of the people, the same liquidity that they'd ever be able to get down on Floyd. So I get it. You're saying on Floyd, they would have took a million dollar bet on this. They would not have. And I'm agreeing with you there. But how many people, especially people on these podcasts and articles, were actually popping a $1 million hit anywhere, which is it's unlikely. There may have been a few groups and I can even ask around. I don't think anyone would have popped in the range of like a million plus, um, you know, outside of one or two people
0: the The likelihood that that happened is very low. I think part of the reason why is because it's it's a boxing match, so again, it's like first of all, there was really there's no guarantees that when when you get into one on one individual stuff like that, you start talking about match fixing or people throwing fights like that thing is always a likelihood so for sure, from that point of view, and it's easy for me to say in hindsight, Floyd Mayweather fought to win, which he did um but like it's not really comparable like think about okay think about the Washington capital sit- situation you're talking about they closed like in the minus 200s really realistically you could have got a plus 100 but it-, it was on the move over the course of the day but let's even say plus 100 um which is 50% uh implied probability and you set that line at 65% at full kelly that's a 30% of your bankroll wager at full kelly and we're talking about a hockey game like if people recall how that game was won, it was in the last second on a fluke shot out of the corner. That game for, for was sure, very that, close that to that going overtime. Matter. It
1: doesn't matter how the game was won or like what the outcome was. I'm talking about strictly like opening versus closing line, what you could have played back at. So like in that scenario, staking 30% of your bankroll at a plus 100 wager, you're making 30% of your bankroll. You would have to risk 100% of your bankroll on Floyd Mayweather to make 25% of your bankroll. So all in. If, if, as long as your bankroll is not $3 million, if your bankroll is anywhere in, I would say, well, let me give a good number here. If your bankroll is 400000 400, to 500000 or less, then the Washington Capitals would be a bigger edge than Floyd Mayweather. And and we're assuming, obviously, you're getting the plus 100. We're also assuming Floyd's 999 No, so this is why I'm going so it, to argue that.
0: Right. So this is why I'm going to argue that because you know that that's not the case. You're not getting plus 100 as your average price. Here's the difference: if I wanted if I wanted Floyd Mayweather minus 350 at Bovada, I could have got referred to a trader and made a seven figure wager. People be like, "Oh, that's absolutely insane!" It actually happened. You could have done that because they had so much liability on McGregor in that fight that you could have pretty much gotten whatever you wanted. So that's the factor here. Whereas if I'm betting the Boston, uh, the Washington Capitals against the Boston Bruins resting a bunch of players. And I keep popping that over and over. There's not enough liquidity in the hockey market. Like I'm taking an average price of probably minus 140, if not. So high. to
1: get to get 100 grand down, your average price would have probably been minus 113, minus 115 max to get 100 grand. No, down, because get...
0: no, absolutely not. Because I I can pull up my figure on that day, and I have a price of like minus 110 or so. But it it moved like pretty regularly. So,
1: so yeah, I don't want to give I, out I, like exactly what I'm betting, how much and stuff. Yeah. But I, I can say like. It, it, even without a huge, huge network of accounts, it, it would have been reasonable to get an average price. I mean, let's call it even minus one twenty, but one forty okay. would be too much. One forty would be popping it even at minus two hundred.
0: Okay, so now let's say I, I wanted to get a million on um, a million on on McGregor or sorry on Mayweather minus four hundred to win two so yeah, to win two hundred and fifty k. Yeah. Not a problem. Now to get two hundred to win two hundred and fifty k on that same hockey game, I'm basically taking an average price that is much worse to the point where my Kelly stake is like fifteen percent of my bankroll.
1: Exactly, and that's why I said that if you're If your bankroll is under four or five hundred thousand, you're unaffected. If your bankroll is uh, five million, then absolutely the Floyd Mayweather edge is going to be the biggest edge you've ever had because of the liquidity and because you could have literally referred to trader five million dollar bet, five five different sites, million, 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 (laughs) and there you go. So I'm agreeing with you there. But if your bankroll is like a hundred thousand, fifty thousand, two hundred thousand, All of these things are going to be unimpacted. Your Floyd Mayweather edge is not the biggest edge. And again, what I'm comparing this to is just a simple edge that I've had over the past 30 days. So I'm not even talking about like my best lifetime edges. I've had significantly higher ROI edges in that. We're not even including like line errors that you're able to pop. Um, We're going to bring on Doug Kazarian here. I don't think his edge was as big as this, but there's many scenarios in Vegas like legendary stories, people being able to, to hit them for like half million, 600K, 700K on stale lines or on, on wrong errors, right? So I'm not even discussing those. I'm just saying a regular major market that would pop up, right? So now let me give you another example. If LeBron James is out uh, and Anthony Davis is out and then the Lakers are resting their starters because it's a regular season game, let's say a game versus, who knows, okay, Dallas, for example, Lakers go from minus eight uh, down to pick them. Right. So if you were able to pop the Mavs plus 500, plus 400 and get down 10, 20, 30 dimes, that's again way bigger edge than the Floyd Mayweather thing. Obviously, assuming that your bankroll is in the range of, you know, the four to 500 K and not in the range of the four to five million. Make sense? But don't,
0: yeah, it does. But don't you think hindsight plays into it a little bit? Like when people say that was the biggest edge I'm going to have in my life, it's knowing that Floyd Mayweather showed up to fight. Like th- that 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 plays into it, right? Like if I can make the if I can go back and, and repeat those games, um, Mayweather McGregor or bet on on the Washington Capitals again against an AHL team, I'm going to take the Mayweather McGregor's one every single time, F-
1: for sure. But then the other thing is you didn't know that at the time that he was coming to play that th- there wasn't going to be some like for example. So this is why we were getting into this topic this week is Mayweather's fighting Logan Paul. Okay, now about 10 minutes before we were recording this podcast, news came out that there's going to be no no judges and no like official winner rule. So if it goes to decision, it's basically just going to be a draw. I think that now essentially calls into question a lot of the things in regards to like the motivations and, and, May- and Mayweather would essentially have to knock him out to get the win, which is a lot more difficult than beating him by decision, which, I mean, realistically was a virtual certainty if Mayweather wanted to, right? So what I'm saying is at the time, yeah okay we weren't sure but and now you're saying yeah yeah okay Mayweather came to flight that was an easy win he was 99% likely to win what I'm saying is right now you can pick up Mayweather in the range of minus 600 minus 700 at some books versus Logan Paul so that that you can't necessarily say that Mayweather is a 99.9 chance to win if he comes out and he's in great shape and he starts trying and he's like, the, like yes, Mayweather's much, much better than Logan Paul. And he, he would likely beat him 100 out of 100 if he's actually in shape and if he's trying. But you don't know that going in as well. So like at the time, it's easy to say, um, you know, this was the biggest edge after the fact. But right now, like you have another scenario to do this, but no one's going and popping this. Like no one's betting 100K on this.
0: Mayweather, Logan Paul, does it count towards Mayweather's official record?
1: It, it does not. And that's why it's a different event. That's I the get difference. It.
0: But so, so this is it, right? Because against Connor McGregor, this was for Mayweather to go 50 and 0. He was it, like, you have to, at some point, I'm sitting down and I'm like, there's no way Mayweather is throwing this fight, right? He's not going to be able to get the amount of money that, down that is going to, to ruin his legacy on this fight. Like, that's basically what it would have done. Everything he did up until that point, 49 and 1, a loss to Connor McGregor completely ruins his legacy as a fighter so from that point of view and that's when i started months ago where i said everything i can parlay with mayweather i'm going to that i also placed a pretty large singles bet on uh mayweather as well going into that fight but like it's completely different like mayweather logan paul this is like a lot but does this not this not ruin
1: his legacy as well if he is 50 and 0 professional boxer best of all time and he loses to a youtuber does that not also a legacy? It doesn't really legacy? I mean it,
0: it's going to but it's not really going to count against his his record. And, sure. and like look at this like no you know no judges no official winner red KO up to referee discretion 8 3 minute rounds like it's, no, we were going to have a, a much better discussion
1: and we were going to actually try to break down this fight for the listeners but at this point like after these rules get announced which was like I said 10 15 minutes before we started re- recording this Um, yeah, there's no, I'm not going to go break this down now. What's likely going to happen is, um, you know, either if Logan Paul gets lucky, he might knock him out. Very unlikely. If Mayweather dominates the fight, gets a standing knockout, something like that, or knocks out Logan Paul with maybe a body shot, he's going to win the fight. Most likely I'd say it's probably like, it's going to go to, it's going to go to decision. Um, and then at that point, it goes to the decision it's going to be a draw based on the rule set. So it's not really as exciting as a, a match as people might have uh, expected, you know, maybe even just as, as soon as yet as early as yesterday uh, before that rule set was announced.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, like you just looking at the rule, like I, these guys obviously dislike each other stemming from the I got your hat, whatever, you know, like so there's there's pretty much still I I don't want to say a virtual guarantee but I feel pretty strongly that Floyd's gonna approach it to try to to kick this guy's ass I probably still will bet Floyd but like there's always gonna be that thing in boxing in the back of it, your head is like how much risk am I willing to take on um with the, with the potential of just like some one on one bullshit happening in terms of you know some fighter shows up completely out of shape doesn't give a shit about this at all with the McGregor one I thought it was pretty clear cut that he's going to um, take this fight very seriously. And honestly, I think you take arguably one of the best. I, I Again, I'm not a boxing expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I probably watched maybe 10 Floyd Mayweather fights in my entire life, including one which I thought he lost. Um I think it was against Oscar De La Hoya. But the reality is you're talking about world-class boxer against a guy who, who can fight and he can box a little bit here and there. And I have like... The implied probability is 80%. I'm I'm just never buying that. I thought that was as clear cut an opportunity as we'll get. And the uh, the the argument I'll make on your side, Johnny, which I think is a fair one, which is why did it like, why were you not at max risk then? If that was the biggest edge you have in your life. And I'll say this. I'll never forget I was at my my buddy's wedding that night, my buddy Rob Principe. And I was sweating, man. Like after dinner, I'm on the dance floor. I'm like, I'm not going to walk. I had an uncomfortable amount of money on that fight and I don't preach this. And I really shouldn't even say it because, um, I, I I don't advise it. It's like a pretty shitty place to be where you're just like, I'm, I'm not ruined, but I'm kind of ruined if, if this result goes the other way. And it was uncomfortable. Like I was getting texts in the first one or two rounds of like, you know, McGregor's looking good. Doesn't look like Floyd wants to be here or whatever. And then by the, the fourth or fifth round, I was getting texts like this is basically over at this point. Floyd's going to kill him. But I was in an uncomfortable place. So I did have a lot of money down. But the the argument I could make on your side is like if this was as close to 100% as it gets, should have been pretty much your net worth at that point.
1: I mean, yeah, and I wouldn't advocate anyone to do that. Like, personally, I I think, like, yes, it was an edge. I'm In no way am I saying that Conor McGregor was the right side uh, of this fight. It was obviously Floyd Mayweather at those odds, uh, especially given the fact that, like, if you watch the fight as a non-boxing fan or as, like, a non-boxing traditionalist, like, it's pretty clear that McGregor actually did win round one and two. But then on the judges' scorecards, um, obviously Floyd knocked him out in the later rounds that didn't even go to the judges' scorecard. But on the judges' scorecard, Floyd won every single round. So there was there was basically no chance McGregor was beating him by decision uh, just based on the way that the, the fight's going to be judged, just as I would think that there's there would have been no chance that uh, Logan Paul would beat Floyd Mayweather by decision if that were obviously going to be the case this upcoming weekend, which it's now not. Um, but yeah, my argument here is I just like hear way too many people talking about this is the once-in-a-lifetime greatest thing ever, but for the majority of those people – like it's not the biggest edge that you could even like i could find a bigger edge in that per month for anyone with a liquid with a bankroll of 50 grand or less right and that's my argument um simply put is based on that for the people you know who can get who have a 10 million dollar bankroll and could risk a million or two million then yes that's the biggest edge on a single event you'll have because it's the only event with that big of an edge that you're going to be able to bet seven figures eight figures on if you wanted to
0: it was an interesting discussion. Uh, we're going to move on. But this is one that I want feedback on. Um, I, again, it's not clear cut because I think it. there's a lot that needs to be factored into the equation, to f- like how you define your biggest edge. If you include hindsight, I think there's a lot of things going in. But I, I'd like to see other perspectives on this just in general. So please hit us up um, either at the Betstamp account on Twitter or at my own, at Rob Pozzola, or at the Circles Off uh twitter as well which we've just added please give that a follow and um and let us well, know what you
1: let us know what your what you think your biggest edge that you've ever had is as well because uh there's a lot of people who bring up like match fixing like rob earlier on this podcast a uh, different week talked about like horse racing and knowing the odds of knowing who won the race before there's a lot of times when you can pass post things like this knowing the events of some games and obviously, the liquidity on these is not going to be high. But let's uh, let's hear it. We, we're we're happy to hear like a bunch of interesting stories on these.
0: We move on from one big edge to another one, um, although maybe not so big, not as big as people realize. I mean, a um, hundred to one long shot winner that was probably should have been priced in the twenty to thirty to one range. So we're only really talking a you know two and a half three uh, percent type of edge, but. Regardless, uh, Doug Kazarian was able to capitalize that on that, and we now welcome him, him into the show here on Circles Off. Last week on the podcast, uh, we discussed something that was, uh, I guess, hit home with me uh, in regards to the Doug Kazarian bet, um, where he won roughly three hundred thousand dollars, and Mike Florio ended up writing an article about uh, the lack of integrity and so on and so forth, and. I'm not really a great journalist. Um, This happened about five minutes before we went on air. So it was something that triggered me. and I wanted to talk about it. But in reality, I probably should have reached out to Doug right away uh, and brought him on to tell his side of the story. So that's what we're going to do this week. Uh, We are now joined by Doug Kazarian. He is the host of Daily Wager on ESPN2. And also, if you want to check out his podcast, Behind the Bets with Doug Kazarian as well, uh, which I've been listening to over the last few weeks. Uh, Doug, nice to have you on the show. How are things going?
2: Good to be with you. We connected a year ago or so, a little bit over a year ago in person, right? In Boston the uh, Sloan conference. That was in a in a world that feels like a decade ago. But uh good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on and you know, it's good to chat about it.
0: All right, Doug, let's get right into it. So, um what what l- let let's start with you telling the story of because obviously myself and Johnny were going through it last week. We kind of know some details of of what went on here, but a lot of it was speculative, and I apologize for that if we didn't get the story completely right. But let's let's delve into it. You won roughly $300,000 on a draft prop. Walk us through that process. What was the prop? Where did you bet it? Um, basically, let's go through it.
2: Well, no, it's a fascinating uh, conversation. I wonder if you know it's going to be sort of like, not a tipping point, but I, I think in the long run there's still like lingering stigma around gambling, right? Like to the, to the outside world, right? You guys are obviously immersed in the space. I'm immersed in the space, but to the outside world, there's still this like underlying. And it's like, anytime this stuff happens, it's like, you know, oh, must be shady or whatever. And then, you know, there's people saying we have to have rule. Like sports betting wasn't invented three years ago with the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. I know you guys are in Canada, but in terms of U.S. outlets, like it's been going on forever. If there's shady things going to go down, they're going to go down probably off the grid. Like I say every year, there was probably a college basketball game last year that involved point shaving. Now, much like there was probably stocks bought that involved insider trading last year in the stock market. Do you shut down Wall Street? No, you just have more regulation and it is what it is. So I just think people, this, the, the instinctual sort of shadiness is kind of something we need to get comfortable with, like not automatically going there. Um, when Nicholson won the, the PGA, was it, you know, did someone have inside information on that? Obviously in sports contests, we're more comfortable with that versus this, but you guys touched on it on your pod a week ago, but anybody with half a brain would know that something that hits in the second round is not inside information. It's just not like, I understand the optics would be uh, if it's something were very different, like the fifth overall pick and then some random guy like Cleveland Farrell, a few years ago with the Raiders, that would be sort of fishy if someone works at ESPN or if someone is lives in the city where the team is drafting, like the Raiders. So I, I, I get it, but not I mean it's just like very like people, especially outlets and stuff, need to be careful just labeling someone like you know, inside information being shady. Uh, it's just it's just a it's not a safe place to go. And I'm not talking about you guys, there's just other places. You just you shouldn't do that in general. And not only is it an attack of my integrity, it's an attack of my intelligence. If I had inside information, I'd probably get someone else to make the bet. I wouldn't be that dumb. So in, in a funny way, it's like almost an attack on my, my intelligence more than anything. But so here's the deal. As you guys know, the draft is very fluid and it's a very unique market, right? And I, I used this example yesterday on my pod, but tonight the Clippers are playing the Mavericks. And the line is seven. It's gone up to seven and a half in most shops recently. It's not going to close like two unless there's an injury in like Kawhi's scratch or maybe him and PG. Like the the Mavericks are not going to go off as the favorite, but we see that kind of volatility in the draft market, especially when lines are posted like a month out. Um, I know a lot of books did about a month. I know the guy I worked with a lot here in town, like he was betting stuff the Super Bowl week at one of the one of the books in town. So there's so much uh, wide ranging. So a lot of these indexes are established like months in advance, and it's pretty crazy and so this index was for the safeties. And obviously, as we all know, Tyson Campbell played corner at Georgia, and he was in this safety uh, index. And look, he might play safety in the NFL. He played safety in high school. There's obviously that sort of – not hybrid, but there's some. there are some players who are in different position groups at different books, whether it be lineman, defensive linemen, or linebacker, and then obviously the safety corner thing. And this is not Trevor Lawrence listed amongst offensive linemen. Right. And so what happened is, you know, he and I comp- – pair of notes. He's a pro better. He is the sharpest guy in terms of the draft. He's been doing it for years. He's almost like a scout who also happens to be a pro better. And so he can sort of anticipate, he projects, he reads a lot of stuff, listens to podcasts, all that stuff. So he started hearing the buzz about a week before the draft on Tyson Campbell, sort of getting some momentum. And remember, there's no combine. It's a very uh, different situation this year and last year for the draft. There's not that in-person communication, drinks at night in Indianapolis where uh, scouts and draft analysts can talk to various team personnel so it's just been it's tough and obviously the back last 10 picks of the first round are not as accurate as the first 10 picks right Mm -hmm. so it was just like a perfect storm and you'll see more of it It, and basically Campbell opened at 60 and a half about a week before the draft at circa here in town as his over under so that means like basically a late 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 second round or third round pick and then he started climbing and his actually over under dropped to 46 and a half I was one of the people who bet under 16 and a half. And we kept betting it as well. So by time the weekend arrived, I was very familiar with who this Tyson Campbell guy was corner at Georgia. And then Monday night, I'm looking at all the apps because stuff again changes so much. We saw the day before the draft, what happened with the third overall pick with the Niners and going from uh, Jones to Lance is the favorite, or maybe that was draft morning. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I see, I did like a double take, but I see this index, and it's like Campbell's hundred to one in this index and very familiar with the guy because, you know, a lot of my positions I had gotten Jones and um, Lance, which I talked about on the show, like a month in advance, just saying, guys, so much changes, just take plus 300 if you can plus 400. So I had these huge plus money. So I was looking at some of, some of the smaller guys you don't know about that, especially when circa put out a bunch of uh, over-unders on guys that were really not like mainstream. And so I was pretty familiar with Campbell at that point and did a double take. And I realized like, wow, this this is, has a chance because he had been getting some buzz. Zerline, I think Monday morning at a mock draft where he was, I think, late first round. And I just felt like one hundred to one was really ridiculous. Now, Rig Woodard out of TCU was that overwhelming favorite. I believe he was like 450. I think he opened 350. He was minus 450 at the time. And then there was a couple other guys, one guy out of UCF. And then another guy that was like two to one or six to one. Two, so the, the second and third favorites were two to one and six to one. So a bunch of other guys were hundred to one and then some. So what happened and you know it was it obvious error but not too egregious. Basically, what happened is when things change in the market and maybe the over under starts dropping, they don't move the indexes. Sometimes they, they're sleeping right. at the wheel a little bit. But also, you guys know this better than I because it comes down to math and the hold percentage. But when there's a minus four fifty favorite and the second and third favorites are two to one and six to one, what's doesn't the rest of the index have to be really? long odds just to balance it out and, and maintain that whole percentage. So yep. I don't know what, I mean, I thought the line should have been probably 30 to one, 25 to one or so. And then and like draft day arrived, um, I think McShay's mock on Wednesday. I think Kyper did his final mock on Thursday. So Wednesday McShay had, uh, I believe Campbell at the end of the first round, but again, they all had Morig rig to the Raiders. Mid first round His over under was 24 and a half. I think it got bet up a little bit to 26 and a half. So again, an overwhelming favorite at safety. And then, you know, the, the guy Grant, I want to say, ended up being the first actual safety few picks into the second round. Then Mo Rig went middle second round, ironically, to the Raiders. So uh, so that night, I, I just drove down and I was like, I got to bet it. Cause I had looked at some other books. I was like, wait, is Campbell and safeties all of them? And then I checked. William Hill already had taken it down. And I don't know if that's an overnight thing, but I know we we're getting close to a draft. Nevada takes some stuff down. And it's not a huge pool. So I figured maybe they just took it down. I don't know. So I just went and. I talked about this on my pod. A couple a few years ago, I, I had I saw a prop on the Super Bowl, didn't bet it because I was in town. I didn't live in Vegas at the time. And it moved because I was like covering a story was working. So I went back and it was 30 to one. And then I didn't bet it and then it closed 18 to one. And I was just so mad at myself because it was no touchdown the first half of the Rams Patriots Super Bowl. Oh, and I yeah. said, next time I get that opportunity, of course it hit. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pounce. And so that's what I did. And I only bet a little bit. There were like four bets, I think, early, and then like an hour later I went back to the kiosk and bet more. And there's limits to the kiosk. It's not limits that set off alarms. It's literally you cannot make a bet at a kiosk that pays out 25,000 or more. Now, obviously that's a huge number, but you like you can't. Like I couldn't have bet more than $249 or whatever it was, at 101. So it just is what it is. And again, an hour apart, then did more. And then I decided to go, you know, you know, put it, put as much as I can in later uh, over an hour apart. And I was just like, you know, I'm going for it. And I think, you know, reading everything, I, I get where people are saying, because look, if I noticed it during the day, would I have gone at night? I don't know. We'll never know. But I noticed it at night and that's when I noticed it. And that's when I went to bed it. And also the kiosk closed at 1am. So it's not like you're just spreading it out the 4am, 5am stuff. So, I guess my question is, and I think this is really interesting, and I want to ask you guys this. In this day and age where we now have, I don't know, 25 states that are legal in the US, 24 plus DC or whatever the count is, and you see these Twitter accounts tweet out a bunch of like, hey, we just took this bet, mm-hmm. the Atlanta Hawks, 10 grand to pay one and a half million, and all this sort of pushing that we pay out big, we have huge handle. You read all these stories that the NFL draft is generating tons of handle. Now I know the safety prop probably isn't the same as the who's going to go third overall to the Niners prop, but at what point is it not on the the better? Like at what point are we just allowed to fire when you have these huge corporations that are pushing all this like payouts and all this other stuff and they want handle and they're frankly giving away money on some promos. So like at what point is it like not on the better?
1: Yeah, Doug, incredible points you make here. Um, I did listen to the segment on your podcast yesterday where you did talk about your side. So we we actually were a little bit wrong in the way we broke down the story last week, again, based on the articles we read and how it was presented. So it's good to get your side of the story. Um, I think what we had talked about last week was what Doug did here was basically catch them sleeping on a line air and hammer it away, which you know, again, is fine to some people and is not fine to some people. But clearly what happened here was, um, you know, odds didn't adjust fast enough. Book hung a line, did not adjust it as the market was moving. It hung around for way too long and Doug was able to hit it. So one thing I want to touch on for any listener here is when Doug said that he actually re-bet it over an hour later. So basically what, what Doug is saying here is, like he bet it they didn't even move it at that point anyone's free to fire away there shouldn't be any question here as to if this is a if this is legitimate if he if it's a line error it doesn't matter what time of night it doesn't matter when the bet's placed what kiosk it's at if they hang a line and it's available for a hit, you pop them once, that bet should stand. If you wait another hour, pop them again. Like there's no excuse as to this is a mistake here. There's no insider trading. That bet's available for anyone in the world to make, not just somebody who works at ESPN or might have info, uh, you know, under the table. So, I think, you know, in terms of your last question of when is it time for, you know, the books to just step up, I think it's now. Like if we're going to advertise all this stuff, um, you know, like you said, better bets a million, mattress Mac bets, you know, X amount of millions on the Astros or things like that. We have to be able to, you know, accept that there's gonna be bets that are placed by anybody, then they could just fire away if they wanna hang the line. That's basically the main thing, in my opinion, that separates offshore with legal books right now is the ability to void a line and not. And if that goes away, then like, you know, what's the point of playing onshore?
0: Yeah, I, I for me it's it's I'm not too sure how the kiosks work. Like this isn't really up my alley because I don't do much betting in, in Nevada or anything along those lines. I might have bet through a kiosk like once in my life or something along those lines. So I don't know how quickly that information from those bets gets relayed to a trader. In, in theory, it should ha- be happening in real time, right? The, the book should be able to see their liability in real time. So if you're hitting them for, Potentially, um, if you hit them four times, Doug, for a potential win of close to 100k, somebody on the sportsbook should see that. And in this instance, we don't know if someone did or not. But the likelihood is that someone saw it and they said, "This isn't enough of a liability here for us to move the line, or we're willing to take this sort of liability to the point where you're able to repop it later on." So it's just a for me a, a matter of of risk management with the sportsbook or not. Now personally. I'm used to betting offshore. It's where I've bet for the majority of my life. And I've always had to kind of calculate um, in my head is it worth it for me to bet this and risk either getting free rolled, which can't happen in the regulated market? Uh, but, you know, number two, lose the account potentially. Like if I take this, if I take it, bet MGM for 100K here, am I never going to be able to bet there again? So I'm interested in the follow up now, Doug, as to whether you're still allowed to bet there was, you know, when you went to cash your tickets, was there any sort of, um, you know, did anyone say anything to you about this, call you a, like a, a, a slime ball or anything along those lines? I just, no, there was in that.
2: confusion and, and I went to a, the non hub office. So it was like, and by the way, no one recognized me. It was Derby day. It was crazy. Baseball was already on. People were firing. There was like a buzz in the crowd because it was like uh, probably more mixed uh guy female female male ratio in the Mm -hmm. book than there normally is because of the derby there were some crazy hats and and so the guy like they were like because you put in the ticket it says not a winning ticket so they called over and they were like really apologetic they said hang on give us you know they take us 20 minutes they're like all right we're not so they took a bunch of um copies xeroxes of uh tickets and then tried to figure it out and then it is what it is so I, i then i called some odds makers and bookmakers in town, a couple of them that I know and asked them, gave them the play-by-play. They're like, yeah, this is like a no-brainer because basically if he's not listed in the corner index and he's only listed in the safety index, then they're offering a bet that can't win, right? right. And that's against yep. gaming rules. And I think our listeners should know that gaming, Nevada gaming, I can't speak for other states and I can't speak for offshore world and it's a different world actually, but Nevada gaming is like the most fair thing. There are so many legendary stories. If you know enough people out here that you hear a second half line, a team that's minus 20 is listed as plus 20, just operator air and things like that. And some people will, to your point, weigh: do I do it and then risk it and stuff like that. Sometimes they'll try to curry goodwill and say, Hey, just a heads up. You have the wrong number here or a guy who's MVP odds are a thousand to one instead of a hundred to one, an extra zero. But if the ticket is printed and you leave the counter, it's not me in my position. Like they cannot void a ticket. So the tickets are good hundred percent. Right. And then, especially if you look up the house rules, the house rules are the p- player's position for the draft is exactly what we establish them at as it doesn't matter what they say on the broadcast. So open and shut case odds makers were like, yeah, you, like you couldn't even have written it better for yourself. So, right. So I knew, and then eventually they're like, sorry, how, you know, we, we apologize. I just think there was legitimate confusion on their part. I think they were caught off guard because it was taken down uh, that night. By like by the time I got home or by the time I was falling asleep that night, they had removed Campbell off the index. So I just think there was general confusion again, crazy week draft derby, bunch of other stuff going on. So I I just think there was general confusion. And again, by the way, that's why I didn't bring it up on air. I, but I did talk about the fine print. I talked about the ACC over five and a half that if some, some books include Notre Dame because Notre Dame last year specifically played in the ACC during the COVID season. So, uh, but that's why I didn't talk about it on air because it was like something that lasted essentially three hours in my world. But so uh yeah I'm not banned at all and they were certainly they were actually apologetic they're like sorry for the you know mix up we didn't realize you know the situation and all good and they could not have been friendlier now um but so for people saying oh your job made it you get no like it's anyone anyone there was there's no like you know inside world that the outsiders don't get a it literally now sometimes you have to go to gaming sometimes there's stuff like that there's hearings and things like that but usually that's like some dude who got lost a bunch of money playing roulette and thinks he got wrong and then he lose. Gaming is like the most fair thing for you know, it's not necessarily pro better, but it's it's just fair. And outcomes are always like the most logical outcome.
0: Yeah, this one's really interesting because you go to cash the ticket, they feed it through and it says not a winning ticket. So what that would probably indicate to me is that um, there was probably an error on their end in the back end somewhere. Where they didn't realize that they actually had Campbell listed as a safety and internally they probably thought they had him listed as a corner or something like that. Some sort of miscommunication with the way that the odds were listed. But again, to your point, whatever is publicly listed is what they have to pay out off of. So I, I can totally see now, like I'm, I was really wondering how does a book take you know this much liability on a draft prop without moving off of that number and letting you bet over and over and and now i can kind of see how that could have been the case which would have been probably an internal error that's just speculation but
2: or maybe what i was thinking before all this stuff surfaces is as you guys know some of these sports books it's a necessary evil because they have to uh, appease casino players right they did it's like a necess- you know they just have to keep the book around in case someone wants to fire a big bet on the Monday night football game right while they're playing Pai Gow or blackjack or craps. So what if they for all I know they have a mattress mac put 200 grand on Mo rig at minus 450. I mean, how again this goes back to my original question. How are we supposed to decipher? I mean, I've bet futures that are very different in one book. I mean, yesterday on the pod I talked about how he couldn't stop betting Lillard at 40 to 1 mid-season or whenever it was when he was 18 to 1 and 20 to 1 at most other shops. Like look at the Lakers, right? I mean, again, Lakers handle MVP index very different than the safety index in the nfl draft but again with 25 properties or 25 states multiple properties how do you know and sometimes they just you know sometimes they need to lay off liability now obviously that may probably wasn't the case it could have been the case you just don't know these things but you're right i I would imagine someone would have moved it off that liability but i don't know how these huge corporations work either this is not a mom and pop shop
1: i agree completely doug it's it's almost as if, like you know what I mean. Their back end, their chart, how much action they've taken on the side is not public knowledge, right? So if we're gonna, we we shouldn't, as betters, have to be responsible for why is this line here? Is this a mistake? Is this what they want? Like in the offshore world, if you had bet that in the offshore world, ninety nine point nine percent chance that wager is getting voided. If you if you bet anything that's even smells like an incorrect line on most offshore books, they're gonna void it. Um, And I mean, that's just the reality of the offshore game. But the main differentiator of the legal, like if you go on DraftKings website right now, it says like bet safely and securely legally with DraftKings or something along the lines of that. So the the main differentiator that the legal books are trying to push is that we're not going to steal your money. We're not going to do shady stuff. We're not going to cancel your bets, stuff like that. So I, I truly believe like a book, especially a legal book, should never be able to cancel a wager regardless. And if their tech is not up to standards or if they have people inputting incorrect lines, they need to make a better review process. There There's so much money being bet into these things like you mentioned. It's not a mom and pop shop, one bookmaker who's writing on a, on a chalkboard by hand and then he wrote the wrong number. Like they have to get better tech and they have to make sure it's up to standards. Otherwise, like, you know what I mean? Like the offshore industry is going to keep moving further and further ahead.
2: Yeah, and and also like the live market, right? Like it's I've had live bets canceled and it's just like bogus because some European skins will have the home team on the top line and you're just trying to move fast and pick off stuff. And it's like, how many times have I mean I've bet the wrong team sometimes over all these years, and it's you don't get that money. I mean, you're right. right. It's like card laid as a card played, should should literally be the motto. Now, if you can I've I've had been able to cancel a bet before because the line didn't move, and I was like, dude, I just bet the wrong team, you know. So there are ways. Like there's a little bit of sort of, you know, ambiguity on that, but um, I don't know. I I think it's a fascinating topic as this world expands, the betting world. And again, here in the States with so much legalization, you wonder, I mean, look, there is a dialogue between a lot of the known clients at sportsbooks and then the house, right? Sometimes they'll be like, Hey, we're willing to give you more of this team if you want or whatever. There's that back and forth. And Rob, you've, you've talked about wing, sort of the the pros and cons of a situation uh, by picking off a number. And I don't know, like, should I get that? Not all just, Hey, the, the, you're not walking into a deli and all the prices are on the board, but you kind of should in a lot of ways. Yeah.
0: I mean, it goes back to um, Spanky, whatever you think of Spanky or, or whether you like him or you don't, he has this one line, which always gets me, which is hang a line, take a hit. And I, I really think that's what sportsbooks need to get to. And that's the one nice thing about the regulated market just in general is that they hang a line, they take a hit, and that's just the reality of it. Now, unfortunately, this, the, the market has become saturated with sportsbooks that are not willing to take a big hit, and they're going to limit you fairly quickly to small wagers. But at least the consumer on their end knows that that's a, a, a solid bet regardless, and they're going to get paid if it wins one way or another. Um, it, It's... I mean, the market is still very much in its infancy, right? Especially regulation. It's been been a couple years. You're looking at the way that some offshores are evolving as well to try to compete with the regulated market. One example I can think of is Bovada in the US, which is very much a recreational player's book. But they don't void pregame errors anymore, which is great. I mean, and I think they have to do that now in order to compete with the regulated market. And I think other offshores are going to start following suit. So now it's like, what does the regulated what do these regulated books start to do when um all of a sudden their differentiator, which is like the trust factor, becomes uh an even playing field with offshores who are becoming more trustworthy. And I think we're going to start seeing an evolution in the space and hopefully for the uh the better of the better, I should say. I couldn't think of a, a better way to term that, but yeah, it, it works. So um, I, I hope to see that, um, Doug. Somebody had had mentioned uh, DM'd me on Twitter um, and wanted uh, a little bit more information on this as well. But it, it's more so of a, a personal question for you because I'm very interested in that that night. Right? Um, Tyson Campbell actually ended up going, I believe, uh, first pick of the second round. Correct? Yes. So that that was the following day. Um, so. You now go through the entire first round without a safety drafted. There's a lot of rumors that Tyson Campbell is going to go first overall. Are you looking to hedge your bet at that point? Like, Were you looking at live markets? Are you trying to sell equity in your bet, right?
2: Great question. And I wish I wasn't as knowledgeable as I was because I end up laying off some of this. But what happened, first of all, it was an incredible sweat. And I had a dinner with some colleagues and my buddy who I actually... Ended up chopping it a little bit. I gave him a piece because he's the one who got me on the Campbell under. So like a day or two later, we talked about it. He only wanted a little bit because, you know, he's very, uh, he's a pro better. He's measured with his units and all that. And I was like, I'm going all in. So you can have whatever you want, but I (laughs) want as much as I can. So don't feel you have to go 50-50 with me. And so we we did that with a lot of other tickets as well. But um, basically, you know, the morning of and the day of, he's like, he's like, Campbell's getting a lot of steam here. He's like, this thing might hit. Actually, this thing's got a better shot than I thought. So I drive and I'm pulling in and I'll never forget. I go to the circus steakhouse and this is like the most memorable moment of the whole. Everyone's like, what did you, what did it feel like when, it, when he got drafted? I was like, dude, that wasn't even like the most, you know, I'm pulling in and, uh, I got a text from my buddy and he's just like effing Raiders, man. And I was like, you know, they took Mo Rick. I'm just like crushed. Cause I was like, <laughs> if they can get, you know, I was just, and then I'm like the you know, valet and I'm like checking my phone. It's like, wait, they took some dude from Alabama. And I'm like, what the hell is you? he's like, Oh, I had other props. And I was like, dude, I don't care. Like don't <laughs> necessarily. Cause he thought I was watching. Cause I've been watching the first, you know, 15, 13 picks, whatever it was until I left to go to dinner. So just that like sadness I had, I'll like remember that more than anything because it's so hard as you guys know, to get a hundred to one ticket that actually has potential. And then just getting over the hump to actually cash it is like Mount Everest. And it just, it's just, we, I've been so close so many times over the years and I'm sure you guys have, and I'm sure you've hit some others too. So just like that, like sadness was just resonating. And then that didn't happen. So then I'm at dinner, I'm at steakhouse trying to, you know, and I'm paying attention because there's 15 minutes apart. And I said, whatever. And obviously the first 10, I did really well in the first 10, like the, the receivers and all the, the, the pits to Atlanta and all that. So, and I look up and I, I usually timed my glances at the TV well, you know, right when the pick was happening, and you could see Goodell walking out. So anyway, I somehow missed that one. And there's like a corner for Georgia running around. So like, I actually stood up at dinner to get a better look. And it's stokes his damn teammate. The other corner at right. Georgia is drafted in the first <laughs> round. And I'm like, this is the biggest like troll job I've ever seen. So eventually the first round goes, because I know there's guys at the end of the draft and my buddy's texting me updates, like so-and-so could use a safe, you know, there's like obviously position of need, you know, the Steelers, need a running back. And there's all that stuff on the back end of the draft. So then the morning of, and to your point, that that morning of the Friday, there's a lot of recap from the previous night. And then there's looking ahead to the second round. And Jaguars were the first team. And obviously, Urban Meyer kind of moves the needle a little bit. And there was a lot of, like, buzz about um, Campbell going. And then there were stories like Urban Meyer recruited him in high school when he was at Ohio State to play safety. He played safety. And I'm like, so there's, like, this, uh, I don't know, there's a storyline there. And so DraftKings and FanDuel, now they, they don't create props between picks during the first round because there's just not enough time to generate handle. But obviously when you have a whole day to generate handle, they they put up a prop. So what position are the Jaguars going to draft? And then they put up particular guys once the report started surfing that actually Campbell was going to go to the Jags, the 33rd pick. So then the market started going crazy. It was like minus 400 at one point. So then we decided like, let's let's hedge some of this. So I actually yeah. in some in, through some people I was able to offer people a very enticing price at Campbell at you know certain price to uh, go 33rd overall and then we were to take in the no basically so we made side bets and used the market of FanDuel and DraftKings separately to people who wanted to just be an advantage player and now I don't know if people you know, the market of you know two books on one guy to go is a little different than you know week 7 in the NFL uh, on Sunday morning, right? Like it's just it's it's a very loose 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 number. So there was a little give and take, but we were just trying to lay off something, take a little bit, of, at least a little bit of guaranteed money, and then of course we lost our hedge bets, um, but we were happy to pay that out. Obviously, I, I certainly was, and so, but definitely um, we had some guys who were willing to do a lot and the last minute backed out, so it wasn't that big of a hedge we laid off. We we could have laid off a lot, and then we laughed about it like an hour. It went up to right until the draft started. People were like on the fence. Cause like, they weren't really sure they're like, well, if it, you know, if your ticket gets voided, is it still going to like, we're like, this is a separate deal. It, yeah. it all, 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 goes no matter what, because there was a chance we could scoop both to be honest. Yeah, you right.
1: Double hedge.
2: If Campbell, <laughs> right. If Campbell doesn't go and overall some other team more. trades up or whatever, you know, craziness. So I, I, and also I didn't want, I felt bad. Cause I wasn't trying. I was like bringing them an offer. I didn't want part of me. didn't want them to lose because I didn't want to feel like a hustler. Right. I was like, here's what's going on. I told them the backstory. And then the guys I knew well enough trusted me. They're like, okay, I get what you're trying to do. But it wasn't like, you know, I had inside info because I knew that they weren't going to take Campbell or something like that.
1: Well, congrats on the win for sure. I think I definitely agree with you there on not taking the draft prop mid-day 1-2 market at DraftKings and Fandu as efficient. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I wasn't getting 4-1 ha- on the no. Crisis. Let's put it that
2: yeah, way.
1: Exactly. But uh, no, it's, a, it's an awesome story. I'm glad you could clear it up. I don't know how much time you have, Doug, but I wanted to ask uh, one more question in regards to a topic we had earlier uh, on this podcast a couple weeks back. It's in regards to – Um, Sports betting and the mainstream media. So no one I guess better to ask than you being a host for one of the largest networks in ESPN. Uh, What we had discussed before was fusing the difference between somebody who knows how to bet and actually bets and then somebody who's talking about betting. Um, on a day-to-day basis so this is not no shot directly at you or anything like that in fact likely the opposite as i I spoke last week on how i was like gained a lot of respect for you knowing that you actually did go bet find something of value and 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 do it not just the guy who kind of like talks about it but i do know for a fact there's a lot of people on different mainstream networks who talk about betting give out bets you know the whole shebang and then A, either don't bet themselves or two are are clear losing better. So I wanted to ask you about if you can, you know, give your thoughts on this. And then also just if you want to give a little bit of background on you as a better, like where do you think you fit in the system? Like, I'm not sure exactly what you're betting and stuff like this. This was obviously a really sharp move. But where do you think you are in the the betting spectrum, so to speak?
2: You know, it's, it's a great it's a good question. It's a good topic because media companies are obviously expanding and we will find eventually the sweet spot uh that's the right amount of content for the viewer and what the appetite of the viewer is right and that's what we're all trying to sort out now when you do second screen experiences like we did some betcasts that's different that's on an alternate viewing option and obviously you can be more, kind of roll up the sleeves and be more immersed in the betting uh lingo but when you are monday night football you know how much it's kind of like they went through this with fantasy and so what's a saturation point what's the sweet spot while having um certain advertisers and things like that. And and it'll work out the kinks, like any sort of market correction. You're going to go overboard and then come back a little bit to a certain extent. And I think that 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 kind of also fits with the, with the talent, so to speak as well. Right. So the, if the, in the, in the expense of being oversimplified, you have people that have been on air for a while, people who have bet a while who don't have on air experience and the on air people don't have on uh, betting experience. And so they're like, what's better for the viewer, right? Like the guy who knows everything, but like you can't understand it because he's uncomfortable on air, or the guy who's really smooth on air but doesn't have necessarily the, the the chops of the betting space. Again, that's oversimplification. There's obviously more than just a binary situation. And so I think what's what's really important, I think, for the consumer, the viewer, or whatever, to just kind of understand that you are watching people talk about sports betting. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think the viewer, excuse me, the people on air should really only share what they are doing or what they think so on our show we have people who bet like the main kind of consistent people but we bring in just because we're at ESPN we have access to a lot of people reporters courtside I want to hear what information they have now they're not saying take the Lakers minus six but they're giving information I also want to hear what Tim Legler has to think um how Steph Curry is going to go is he going to go off in this game what kind of defense and I don't mind asking him, do you like over five and a half made threes? Like you're a former three-point shooter. You won the three-point shootout. Now, is he saying, you know, bet the farm, you don't want them getting two in the weeds, but like, do you expect him getting double teamed and be passing more? Or do you think he's actually gonna get looks and maybe go off? So there's there's gonna be a, a like the Venn diagram where it's all gonna kind of overlap. And some people can kind of play in that space and some can't. It's my job to sort of filter that a little bit. And if we go overboard and kind of segue and transition. But I, I do understand what you're saying. And I do think, I think it's just kind of playing the long game. And I, and I think people at home also like the concept of a show about gambling, right? It's not necessarily pick center. It's daily wager, right? We're not just ripping through picks. We're talking about the few. Like I thought the Lakers, what's happened to the Lakers Sun series price is fascinating to me, right? starts with a seven seed, having the most liability or second most liability in the championship futures market. Don't have home court. They opened as a, what, plus or minus 300 favorite, then went closed at like 170, even before the first game. They're an underdog in game one, go to a favorite in game two without anything changing in terms of venue or injuries, then a big favorite in three because of CP3, then they're minus 900 on the series price, and then they go to an underdog after losing as a 6.5 point favorite at home because of the AD injury and then losing home court. So I think just talking about that is interesting, right? Not even giving a pick per se, but we led yesterday's show with that because it was fascinating. And then we did a retreatment about, you know, halfway through the show. So I think there's a TV component to this much like, uh, I mean, if you look at sort of the ESPN, uh, blueprint, if you will, there's sports center, and then there's side shows like PTI around the horn. And then there's all these sort of different types of shows about sports. And I think eventually that'll happen down the road. We'll have, you know, daily wager can be the sports center if you will. And then there's other shows we have a digital show. We have podcasts And so some will be more focused on picks Some will just be interesting kind of entertaining people. Uh, and, um, and then there'll be sort of the like math guys. I think there's like a lane for every person. There's sort of the old school handicapping, which is I'm much more in that camp than I am. Maybe the modeling, like I don't model, but I respect the models and I want to aggregate. And I typically do that. I talk to odds makers. I I like to aggregate information, but I think I'm also just different in that I worked in Vegas for seven years. I did a drive time betting show on radio uh, we did all this on I had a website. We, I did daily picks on my local sports cast. I did all this stuff, then went to ESPN, but most people only knew me as sort of the talking head typical host at ESPN, but they didn't know I had this like betting background. And I did all this other stuff. and then so obviously I was a natural fit in a work that I had sort of the training at ESPN prior to the show. But I think it's a work in progress to summarize, a work in progress. There'll definitely be some head scratching comments. There'll definitely be some head scratching choices of people. But I think in the long run, they'll get it right because they usually do. Like I believe in the invisible hand component to things. But sometimes it takes a lot longer than you would think.
0: Yeah, I I mean, different content is going to appeal to different people in general. And you're always going to get people at the extremes who are saying, you know, this is absolutely great. This is all I'm looking for is daily picks or this is absolute garbage because this guy doesn't bet for a living or so on and so forth. So you're never going to be able to appease everyone. The conversation that me and Johnny had weeks ago stemmed from... Um, I guess a lot of the media companies who are quote unquote in bed with sportsbooks now um, and they feel, you know, it's sort of, it's a necessity to try to drive players to the sportsbook as much as possible. You know, I, I had a Twitter beef with, with Jonathan Coachman, the coach uh, a few months back because um, they were recording uh, segments for, for the uh, UFC that was coming up where there weren't even odds listed on the UFC yet. And, they were giving out picks PFL, on the fight. pro fight league pro fight league um what, whatever it was and they were giving out picks um without even knowing a price on it and it was clearly just an intent to eventually in post production add the draftkings odds get people to go bet at draftkings regardless and that's where i kind of see a conflict of interest in a lot of content that's out there right now um and i have noticed that that's starting to saturate the market quite a bit um at, at least in the in the platforms that i consume which is largely largely twitter i would say but um I don't know that there's necessarily a solution to that because there's obviously a lot of money on the table here uh, with with partnerships with sportsbooks in general. And a FanDuel or DraftKings, at the end of the day, they're paying sponsorship money to try to get as many players as possible. That's why they're investing here. So I, I don't necessarily think there's, there's an easy solution to it. Um, Doug, at least ESPN has a lot of money behind it, just in general. And there's, I, I don't know the the backstories of of whether there's partnerships or not. Um, but that that's at least my perspective of the space right now, where I, I'm seeing um, so many people just being driven to sports books, entertaining personalities with large followings um, that aren't necessarily the, even betters themselves doing content around betting just to drive, uh, players to sports books. So that's something that I hope will change at some point, but I don't necessarily, uh, see it happening at any point in the near future, because it seems to be like sort of just this arms race right now in terms of, um, books, putting a lot of money into marketing budgets and spending as much as they can trying to get players in the door.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a the main goal is client retention, right? Right now, with a lot of the sports books, and then here in the U.S., it's definitely DraftKings, FanDuel, one and two, or one A, one A, and one B. But I, I think it's interesting. So, you know, I, I really got this solidified when I was talking to oddsmakers about you know the load management in the NBA. It's like, how do you put up a line overnight? Are you just like a headache? They're like, it's a headache. But honestly, we get two way action and everything. It's more of a headache for the better. Mm-hmm. So, I I, I want to steal that and kind of apply it to, you know, uh people giving out picks in like media content for a sports book. It's like, well, if they respected the bet or the guy picking or the girl picking, then they wouldn't want people going to their site to make those picks, but like they're going to move it. So it's all like, they just want two way handle most places. I can't speak. I mean, some people take positions and implement that into their lines and, and will take a firm position, but for the most part, like they don't care if like their media guy or whatever they want to call it is giving out a hundred percent winners, because then they're going to move the market and it's just, eventually it's going to be, they just want the clients and the customer acquisition phase. Right. Um, now I don't know too much of how it all works. And, you know, to your point, there's like celebrities pushing, but it doesn't been with like every brand and commercials. Like there's always a, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, when I was growing up. Tommy Lasorda was big on uh, was it weight watchers or one of those sort of slim fast, maybe a slim fast. It was when I was a, growing up in LA as a Dodger fan. Now I think he actually used it. and He lost a bunch of weight but that doesn't always happen to be the case. There's other situations where there'd be beer commercials or whatever clothing lines that, yeah, they're paid to wear that, but didn't tiger back in the day, scratch out the ping on his putter, the ping he had all those years. And it got, it's just a t- because he didn't yep. want to use the Nike putter. He wanted to use the ping one. but at least he took out, took away the ping logo. So that's going to happen uh, a little bit of misrepresentation all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I agree there. I think that that's fair. Um, where I've always had a problem with it is like, it's different with, I think, branding, uh, and I actually come from that background, like working for brands and things like that. But if if you see Snoop Dogg in a in a Corona commercial drinking a Corona, and then you buy Corona because you you saw the recognition there with Snoop Dogg, it's not really harmful uh, to you uh, purchasing a Corona instead of a uh, Miller Lite or something like that, whatever it might have been. But when you look on ESPN and you see whatever. Uh, Kelly in Vegas giving out a pick that is not a winner, and you now perceive that to be a winner. Uh, it's very dangerous to be, you know, betting based on things that you you believe are super true and in reality are not. So, um, I mean, these are how I guess, is it yes- pitched
2: is super true? I mean, if if it's a conversation, it goes back to my original comment. This is what I'm doing, and I and I stress we're on hot streaks or whatever. I I actually you go over the top even more. I go, all I'm talking about is what I'm doing. I'm not telling you should do anything. You're watching a TV show about, you know, people communicating and conversing about what they're doing. Uh, and this is what our best bets are. This is what I've played the most, you know, and I'll talk about it. I've said, you know, like, there's some futures. I said, I've, I bet this today. I bet this last night. I have this in my portfolio or whatever. I'm not necessarily telling someone they should go do that.
1: And I agree. And that's why it wasn't, it's not necessarily um, a disservice on, on you specifically. No, no, no. I, I just, I just gave think that's you important for people week. to
2: recognize. I think right. that's yeah. what people, it's not about. Hey, you know, we're not sitting there with a 900 scroll number and yelling absolutely free guaranteed winners. Now, I know you're not accusing us of that. I'm just saying So the majority of people of should shows, realize that, but you're right, they don't always. So,
1: so I think the majority of shows though are more towards the what I'm saying. So for example, I'll give you a clear example on the network that you work for would be a guy by the name of Yanni the Greek who is on the UFC broadcast. Now, I'm not sure if he's employed by ESPN directly or by UFC or whatever it is, but he gives out picks for every UFC event. Um, I've had discussions with him on Twitter, public forum, where he's even admitted to not betting the stuff he does. He does it because it's entertaining. And when he's giving out picks, he's not saying, listen, I bet this. He's specifically saying... I think this price is short. Go bet this with you know a big logo for odds provided by DraftKings here. And then when you track his record, he's gonna be down X amount of units at the end of the year. Um and the, the issue is anyone is a season better like like myself, Rob, you, Doug, it's it's easy to tell, okay, I'm not gonna just go ahead and blow, you know, my whole wad on this on this bet because this guy says it. But for a lot of people, their intro into sports betting now with the mainstream and legalization coming is like you might be a UFC fan. Um, before being a sports vet better, and now you're watching the UFC, and that's kind of your first intro into betting is this guy's the expert because ESPN or the UFC have labeled him as an expert, and let me do what he's saying. I think it's just like, like you said, I'm not referring to your show because I have watched Daily Wager multiple times. And I I know that your show, if anything, like you mentioned is breaking down, like, Hey, this will happen in the series price. It is more, um, like entertainment based versus like, go out here and make this pick. So I'll, I'll give you credit for that for sure. But, um, I just think like, it's very dangerous when you're, when you're giving out picks on a major network, especially in a short form, like a one minute segment, uh, like a lot of these people do. Um, and, and like, you know, I hope that either a the people on those segments in the future are more educated and or at least people who understand the market or B, um at least they can give some sort of like warnings to the, the consumers or the viewers if you want to call them that hey this stuff is like here's what's going to happen recap correct records at least things like that like hey this year the picks I've given out on the show here's how I've done and as soon as people can see. It's not a guarantee that you're going to make money tailoring this guy's picks on the broadcast. At least now they can make their own decisions, right? Versus kind of more falsified information.
2: Yeah. I mean, this goes back to like, you know, the, the, the work in progress concept, right? You got to break some eggs and make the omelet. I I, I like what Van Pelt said back during legalization when it all came out. He's like, you know, we have lotteries, we have alcohol, we have cigarettes, we have all these stuff in States, but you can't bet. It's like, let people be adults. Right. And, um, but to your point, there's like, at what, at what point is the onus or to what degree should the onus be on the, in this case, the media company to prevent people from being an idiot, if you will, um, or just blindly trusting and all that stuff? I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the consumer uh, protection laws are or whatever, whatever, um, you know, fits in terms of the guidelines. I, 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 I don't know. I didn't see the specific stuff you're talking about. I can't speak to a lot of this. I, I, I think it's up to the consumer um, to kind of figure things out, but it's also, there's a responsibility. I mean, I can only control what I say on air and how I approach things. And I mean, I'll get tweets of like, people took like a four leg parlay and it was like all of our best bets or something I'm like, dude, just remember we're doing what we're doing. Like I'm happy you won, but uh, I would not, you know, make this a habit, but I don't know. There's an entertainment component to this, right? So you guys are looking at it like a, a market, right? Like a portfolio and, in a grind and, and, and money management, other people like are going to spend X amount of money on entertainment. And this is their entertainment, right? Like that's more the European model. If I'm not mistaken.
0: Recreational. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: So they kind of like, you know, it's like watching Springer to a certain extent, right? Like, why is that? A, why was that ever allowed? Right. Like, right. but it's, it's sometimes you need your escape or sometimes you need your guilty pleasure. And maybe for others, it's sharing a parlay with some buddies on like a 10 leg parlay. That may well, that's not positive EV,
0: right? Well, we appreciate your honesty, Doug. Uh, I mean, this kind of devolved into an, another conversation at, at the end here. And, yeah, and and I agree. You're you're in the media, and uh, I, I mean, we cited some ESPN examples. Didn't really mean to go out down that that road, but I, I appreciate your honesty just in general. Um, but this has been a, a great conversation. I mean, uh, I'm glad we brought you on here to to um, give the details of last week, um, and fill in some of that speculation that we had. And your, your take on, uh, the media side of things is definitely interesting with you being in the media. You're someone that I respect, um, just in general. And same with, you know, Johnny mentioned this to me last, last week as well, when he heard the stories, it's like, you know, it's pretty cool that Doug was able to, to take advantage of this, uh, this line like he did. So we appreciate the time and, and your perspective. And, um, Best of luck. Say hi to my uh, my friend Joe Fortenbaugh on the on the panel there. I, I do miss uh, uh talking to him pretty regularly as well. But um, thanks for joining us this week, Doug.
2: No, thanks for the kind words. Not just this week, but last week. I appreciate it. You guys obviously always available to chat it up, whatever. Appreciate your time. Um, look, it's 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 a constant, ongoing uh space, and we're gonna we're gonna have another sort of twist and turn the next coming days, I'm sure. But it's fun. Uh, it's fun to talk about them. Uh, and thanks for having me on entrepreneur.